All right. Hello, everyone joining us at home. I'm Tamara Ugolini, your co-host, and I'm joined here with our Quebec correspondent, Alexa Lavoie. Alexa, how are you doing over there? Um, really fabulous. Uh, have you seen our beautiful <laughs> day? It is today. <laughs> yeah, we're not about worried you? about the looming... The looming wildfire smoke today, are we? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no, good. Good. It's like I'm I feel like I'm just recovering from a manic Monday. So it feels like Monday has just kind of moved over and been pushed over into Tuesday. Um, but here we are. We have a jam-packed schedule to share with you. For anybody who is not familiar with what we're doing today, it is Tuesday, July 25th, which is absolutely crazy to think that we're pretty much out of July. We'll be into August before we know it. Um, but this is our way to kind of dissect the news of the day and provide some commentary on political happenings and other worldly things that are happening. And usually uh, David Menzies hosts the daily stream and the daily roundup, as we're calling it now. Um, but because our studio is still being refurbished, there was a couple tweaks that we need to, to get to, to just to make it that extra bit better. Um, and if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, you can head over to buildthedream.com or .ca. I can never remember what the notion was there. But um, yeah, buildthedream.com. And you can see how we've revamped our studio. So there's a couple tweaks happening this week. So David Menzies has been sent on as our mission specialist to head out to the field. There it is there. Yeah, you can see Ezra in a hard hat. Um, so the studio is pretty much there, but there was just a couple tweaks. And so we're hosting remotely for, I think, the remainder of the week and maybe another couple days next week, depending. You know, renovations are like that thing where you just never really sure what you're going to get. And you're never really sure how long exactly or how much it's going to cost in the end. So um, that's where we're at. But stay tuned at buildthedream.com if you want <laughs> to follow along. We're streaming on a couple of different platforms. I know it's just because um, I find that funny because it, it seems like you describe what we get with the liberals. We never know how much it will cost yeah. us and what we will get at the end of the day. That's right. Yeah, you're, yeah. it's just we'll put a rough budget in place. But I mean, it could be a couple million dollars more than that. And it could take five years instead of the allotted one or two. I'm um, never really sure what you're going to get. That's a good analogy to use. But for those of you who are joining us, uh, we're streaming on YouTube rumble getter and odyssey but at some point because of youtube's censorious thuggery we will be talking about some covid nitty-gritty and we don't want to have to self-censor so we will sign off of youtube at that point and then i would invite you to join us on rumble odyssey or getter i hope i had those platforms correct and of course david menzies would always tell you what national day it is um and so in honor of him and his inability to join us today. Today I'm finding is National Carousel Day or National Merry-Go-Round Day, um, which commemorates the first patent for a carousel design in 1871, if you can believe it. I don't know, Alexa, do you have any carousels or merry-go-rounds where you are? No. <laughs> we have well, a super vintage one. Wow. Um, there's, there's one. We have a super vintage one in Roseneath. So it's a very small um, little, I guess it's, I guess it's like um, an, an indigenous, uh, oh, why can't I think of the word? Um, anyway, it, it's on um, Aboriginal territory or land. And I think it dates back to the late 1800s in this little small town called Roseneath. Uh, it's just north of where I live anyway. So that's kind of a highlight. They have a fall fair. And anyway, so today's National Carousel Day. They're in honor of David Menzies and his funny little tidbits of information that he seems to just come up with out of thin air. Um, okay. But anyway, we have a ton of news to dissect today. And I suppose the first thing we'll get to is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who I suspect is starting to go out on the campaign trail. He's been acting and this will have some other recent uh, news to share with you on why we think that is. But in this particular video, he stops to get a selfie with someone who he thinks is a fan who turns out to actually be more of a hater. Have a look. 
Trudeau must go. 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 It's like it reminds me when he always turns around and smiles and waves, no matter what kind of things you're yelling at him. And you see that more and more these days. I, I, he, he's doing that with everybody. Because I remember when he came in Montreal for uh, visiting agricultural worker, and I was the only one there. And I said, I, I was just screaming his name, and he just turned around. I'm, I'm by myself, by the way, and just wave at me until like he realized it was me. <laughs> and he stopped. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter it was what funny. you're yelling at him or what's going on around him. He's just so... He has his his one thing that he has to follow, and that just seems to be smile and wave. You know they, that old. Mm-hmm. We have this thing in English where we say, when even if you don't agree with something, or you you know you want to bite your tongue, um, you smile and nod, smile and nod. And Trudeau has this thing where he just smiles and waves, smiles and waves. Uh. Doesn't matter what's going on around him. Uh, but this is happening more and more. We saw most recently in Belleville where he was heckled by a large yeah. crowd so much so that they had to cancel or cut short their um their convoy for lack of a better word his entourage of all of these gas guzzling suvs Mm -hmm. that he rolls up on these events in uh which is funny because you know he's always criticizing everyone uh, for their carbon usage and has now imposed two or three different carbon taxes onto canadians indiscriminately and actually that's kind of leads us into the next video that we have to share with you, which is uh, a clip that we um, have from a struggling grandma at a recent event. So I think after Trudeau went to Belleville, he went to Peterborough. And then this one, this particular clip comes from Buckhorn. He held a, um, a gathering there. And this grandma gives a tearful exchange on how the carbon tax has caused her to not be able to feed her family and that she's down well i don't want to give it away so let's show this clip and then we'll talk about it after i feel like you have failed me and i'm asking you here today to fix that something's wrong now mr joe my heat and hydro now cost me more than my mortgage i now i now not only work 75 hours a week I stay and work 15 hours a day just so I don't lose my home. My hydro bill, my hydro bill I want to share with you, a single family home, one person who works hard with a brace up to her leg, partially paralyzed every single day I put that brace on and I'm proud to be Canadian, but something's wrong with our system and I have faith in you and God that you're going to work hard to fix it. How do you explain to a woman how she's supposed to pay a hydro bill, $1,085? And I did it. I've done it. I've done it for the last year. I lived without hydro for five days after paying a $680 bill. They showed up one day. I'm asking you, Mr. Trudeau, and here is my question today. How do you justify to a mother of four children, three grandchildren, physical disabilities, and working up to 15 hours a day, how is it justified for you to ask me to pay a carbon tax when I only have $65 left of my paycheck every two weeks to feed my family? A lot of different elements come into your into your question. A, a number of them are provincial. Uh, hydro bills are uh, provincial, but as you point out, uh, the federal uh, the, the federal government's decision to put a price on carbon uh, is something that we have uh, moved forward with. And it's one that is uh, causing consternation amongst uh, a, a broad range of people. And I, I understand because uh, carbon and carbon emissions and carbon uh, is part of uh, everything we do, whether it's uh, eating our homes or getting back and forth from work uh, or, uh, or in, the, in the products we buy. Just zero compassion in his response. There was just no no empathy, no sympathy for that struggling, obviously very hardworking and disabled grandmother who can't even afford to heat her home. And that 
is before she's even seen how the second implementation of this carbon tax is going to affect her bills moving into this winter, right? We're in the summer. We're not currently having to heat our homes in minus 20, minus 30 degree weather as we have in various parts across Canada. Um, So she, I think, hasn't even seen the worst of it yet. Uh, no, because now that they want to electrify everywhere, like the country, the Quebec, and of course, like electricity and all the costs were raised, especially I'm probably sure that they will add more tax on carbon for really discourage people to use fossil fuel to heat their home. So people will probably need to turn their eating system into the electric system but if you're not from Quebec I would say that um I I don't know how other provinces are paying for their electricity I don't know if it's equal to Quebec or a little bit more higher or maybe you are actually pay less than us but I would say that at one point I don't think we will have enough electricity to, for everybody. I think they would ask us to reduce our consumption of electricity, but paying more for it. So I am probably expect on the years to come, probably like new regulation will apply as like everybody not like washing in the same time or not consuming at a high peak in the same time to make, the electricity more fluid and more affordable but i think like we will need we will like lost like we'll not have enough like electricity for everybody right i i'm pretty sure for it and so yeah the problem that she's living right now that would be the reality for most of canadian in the future Mm-hmm. Well, we just need to look at California, who has rolling blackouts at any given time and the burden on the electricity grid that is not equipped to run electric vehicles and and support the increasing demand, uh, not to mention the carbon required to generate the electricity. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing here, I'm becoming a little bit more reliably informed that that is potentially an old clip that's just been rehashed and reshared. But regardless, I have, it's not electricity, but I published on Twitter back in March of this year, uh, a screenshot, a small capture of my Enbridge gas bill. And this was pri- this was after the first carbon tax implementation prior to the second one that all Canadians got to celebrate on Canada Day when Trudeau implemented the second set of his taxes Ooh. to help, I guess, with the um, help offset the heating of the environment uh, or the earth. And so this is a snapshot of my gas bill. And this was actually small compared to what we paid this was in march so what we paid actually in december january and february um and you can see here that my previous bill was 626 dollars. so that's 30 days and i don't keep my house crazy hot i keep it at you know 20 degrees celsius give or take um and uh and then the the next amount was 429 dollars and 80 cents so that was for part of february and into march and if you break down the charges there, so uh, you can see federal carbon charge. So this is a percentage of your total bill. It's not a set amount. Every bill doesn't get the same amount. But the percentage of my bill that went to the federal carbon charge was $54.53. And this might seem like not very much to some people, but when you add that to every person's bill, every person's gas bill will have a percentage allotted to the federal carbon charge, and that could be $50, it could be 20 so on and so forth, times millions of users, of, of gas users. This is an astronomical amount going to our government, and what are they doing with it? Like, like where is that money actually going in terms of a tangible benefit under the guise of somehow being able to magically cool the earth and prevent what they call this climate hysteria of global warming. Um, I know. It just makes no sense. (laughs) That go to their SUV, gas, car, and to their 
jet plane and like actually they are using real life gas and carbon with the money that we spend in overfee for a carbon tax. Mm -hmm. Well, and as you can see in this breakdown here, you know, there's a customer charge, there's a delivery charge, there's a transportation to Enbridge to their facility charge. And then there's the gas supply charge, which is, I think is what my actual usage was, which was $146 out of $429.80. That's what I actually used in gas. The rest is just, I don't know, I would say thievery, in my opinion, and tax. Uh, there's a cost adjustment. And then, of course, there's HST on top of it. So you actually pay, I believe, and correct me someone if I'm wrong, but you pay the federal carbon charge and then you pay HST tax, provincial tax, on top of your federal carbon charge. Like it's it's quite literally tax on, to on top of tax at this point. And um, we know that Canadians pay, you know, the average, I think, is approximately 40 to 50 percent of our wages go to tax. And that $54, this day and age, that's like a third of the average Canadian's grocery bill a week. That is a huge amount of money that Canadians can be better utilizing to feed their families and afford fresh fruits and vegetables for their children. That's going just to our government who is so high up in their ivory towers. We've had a few articles recently and perhaps we can pull them up quickly, but Trudeau is on par to spend almost $100,000 in just his personal grocery budget this year, which is more than what the average Canadian makes in a year. <laughs> he is so out of touch and so misaligned with what actual Canadians are dealing with on the ground um, that it, it makes sense that we may be heading into another snap election with some of the ways that the government is, that, he, that he's acting currently. Yeah, there he is on track to spend well over $100,000 on groceries at his personal residence in 2023. And I think it's at the end of that particular article yeah. where it denotes um, that the average Canadian makes, I think it was about $75,000 a year. Um, and again, that's based on how, you know, your family and so on and so forth. Yeah, down at the very, very bottom, I think it's the last sentence. So I've I referenced this report. Oh, maybe not. Um, anyway, we've done, oh, there it is. The average Canadian household income in 2022 was $75,500. So mm -hmm. he's spending thing, more than the average Canadian makes just on his own personal grocery bill. But the thing with Justin Trudeau is just because he's born already in a rich family, really wealthy, mm -hmm. no problem where they're. So the fact that he never faced what is the real reality for the middle-wage uh, people in Canada, he will never really understand what, is, what it is to struggle at the end of the month, what it is to struggle to always like, like questioning if you will have enough, like you just pay like uh, for sing like simple thing as milk at the end. Or oh, some mm -hmm. people need to make choice right now. Do I'm eating meat or I'm taking like I don't know like substitute or like I'm probably not. I would not probably surprised to see some people who are under nutrient like base mm -hmm. food at one point like that that would need like to probably use supplement pills because they were like not eating like equally on their diet. Yeah. Yeah, we can't afford the 2019 Canada Food Guide recommendation of servings of fruits and vegetables per day because it came out in 2019 pre this record inflationary period, um, arguably at the hands of the Justin Trudeau liberals and their money printing, their endless money printing throughout the COVID hysteria, um, which now he's starting to reap the, he's starting to reap the repercussions of. Yep. And we're hearing now that uh, he's going to be shuffling his cabinet. So this is huge news. Um, just this morning, two additional ministers announced that they would not be seeking re-election. And these are high uh, top bureaucrats in the Liberal cabinet. So this particular story comes from Global News, and it's the announcement of Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra and Procurement Minister Helena, um, I want to make sure that I pronounce her last name, Yatsek. They announced on their social media this morning that they would not be seeking re-election. And so the way that Trudeau has been campaigning and he's been 
hosting these town halls and traveling all across the country where he just gets repeatedly heckled um, and has groups of protesters following his entourage along. Now we have some of his senior cabinet announcing that they will not be seeking re-election. But I don't think it really matters because they're sitting on a gold-plated pension. They have uh, mm-hmm. a cushy retirement laid out for them. Um, Helena Yatsek is 72 years old. Uh, so she gets Ooh. to sit on, yeah, she gets to sit on a nice retirement pension. And um, Omar Al-Gabra, I mean, he's only 53, but he'll have a cushy pension waiting for him as he as he steps down as the uh, Minister of Transportation, which I think his legacy, Omar Al-Gabra's legacy, will be the failure of the Arrive Can app, which we saw instituted in Canada for all travelers, both both Canadian nationals and international travelers coming to Canada were coerced by this government under the guise of you know stopping the spread of COVID-19 to download what many called spyware, government-sanctioned spyware through this Arrive Can app, where you had to list your vaccine status, upload your private medical information, your testing, COVID-19 PCR testing documents. And then you had had the government basically following up with you during that the post-arrival period on whether or not you became symptomatic with COVID. Um, but they never tracked any of the data. They never, it never um, was used in any sort of tangible way. The company itself, I think it was like $53 million it yep. cost for this app to be, um, to mm-hmm. be developed. Whereas small Canadian talent said they could do it for a quarter, if that, of the price. Less than that. Less than that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that will be Omar Al-Gabra's legacy is just his complete inability to adequately manage the COVID response, pandemic preparedness, um, the the strikes at the airports, the the failures of at the airports, the backlogs, uh, traveling there in 2022, 2021 and 2022 was absolutely insanely cumbersome. And it was at the hands of him as the transport minister. And same with with the trucker convoy that took to the nation's capital in 2022. This was due to COVID-related mandates instituted by the federal government and him as transport minister. Well, I wanted to have your opinion on that, but what do you think is the strategic plan behind the fact that now they are shuffling the minister, different minister to change for other one? What do you think that because they have a fresh meat in expression that now like people will like maybe trust more liberals? Well, I wonder if they're just rats fleeing a sinking ship um, as they see maybe their internal polling is showing that favorability of the liberal cabinet is at an all time low. We see it when Trudeau is out in public. He's heckled um, by protesters. He is not liked by many Canadians on the ground. He's he truly is a fringe minority government, and he's only being upheld because the other fringe minority government of the NDP and he have mm-hmm. this unofficial coalition where they essentially prop each other up as though they are a majority government, but they don't, they aren't. They're two fringe minority governments banding together and in this very undemocratic exercise of, of power and overreach into the House of Commons and our parliamentary procedures. Um, and I think that that Canadians are fed up. They're seeing that their policies are negatively affecting people, our economy. If we if we can't afford fruit to feed our families, this is a government failure. This isn't a mm-hmm. good sign that things are going well in Canada. Our, our various systems that we fund and we pay into with these aggressive taxes are failing us and are crumbling. And so either this is rats seeing fleeing, sorry, um, a sinking ship, or maybe maybe Trudeau is shuffling around to become more woke, or will the cabinet become less woke? Um, who's to say? As I mentioned, these some of these ministers are getting up there in age, and yeah, maybe it's to get fresh meat in, but maybe it's because they can see via their internal polling, but also out in public 
that Canadians mm-hmm. are fed up and they're not in agree they're not agreeable to these the policies and the way that the government is heading. Do you think that that will happen in 2023 or you think that maybe earlier in 2024? I would personally, I hope that the sooner that an election is called, the better. Um, I don't know how we could continue on, I think. So the leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, has said that they, they've, they've banded together at this unofficial coalition, I believe, until sometime in 2025. And many argue that that's because Jagmeet Singh is on track to get his pension in 2025. So you have to be two terms running uh, eight years as a minister oh. in order to get your pension. And so Jagmeet Singh isn't quite there yet. He needs uh, roughly a year and a half more Mm -hmm. uh, in his term to get that pension. And so many argue that his reason for forming this unofficial coalition is just so that he can ensure he gets his pension in 2025. But I am, it looks dire if we're into 2025 with this government who remains so out of touch, showing grotesque ineptitude and incompetence. Um, and, And as we're seeing now, so he, uh, has three ministers not running again, as we mentioned, Omar Al-Gabra, procurement minister, Helena. And then there's also on Monday, mental health and addictions minister, Carolyn Bennett. She announced that she would not be seeking re-election at the end of Mm -hmm. her current term. And then we also have uh, Joyce Murray, who's 69 years old. And um, there's talks now. We have this tweet to share as well, if we can pull it up on screen. Yeah, Joyce Murray, she's the uh, fisheries minister. She won't be seeking re-election. And then there's also some unofficial talks that Justice Minister David Lametti and uh, Bill Blair, the emergency preparedness minister and former Mm -hmm. public safety minister, will also not be running for re-election. So this is pretty huge. That's a lot. these These were also key players in the handling of the pandemic response of the Freedom Convoy, Convoy? the trucker convoy Mm -hmm. that took to the nation's capital. I mean, Alexa, you were there on the ground. Mm -hmm. The political landscape at that time was really looking very dire. And I think that was really the sentiment on the ground at the convoy itself is just the distaste and the dissatisfaction with these very ministers. Yes, and the manipulation of the information, the lies that was like propagated into the cabinet, and uh, we, we saw it during the commission, like all like the untruth that was just like unveiled during that commission, and and finally like the commissioner needed to trust a side or another, and uh, it's it's really sad that he trusts like the the side of the cabinet because. There was like so much manipulation of information and this is disgraceful for Canadian. And I would say that I'm not going to miss them. <laughs> or maybe we'll get, we'll get worse. We never know like what we would get afterwards. Is it worse or it's going to get better? We, 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 we cannot know until uh, we don't have the name of the people. Well, that's right. That's why I say like, is the Liberal Party going to become more woke? Or less? Are they yeah, shifting exactly. things around because they're seeing that Canadians are not in agreement with the way the party's going? I mean, regardless, it looks like the Liberal Party's going down. Um, the The public mm-hmm. distaste and distrust in the government is up. And we have this massive either resignation or not seeking re-election happening with top senior officials in the Liberal cabinet. Uh, this, is, this is pretty big news. And mm-hmm. I just... If it weren't for that NDP coalition and the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh propping up the Liberal government, I think this would just trigger. This would this would be a clear indication that there is an, an election. Maybe there still is. Maybe there's still hope. But um, I don't know how we're going to make it to 2025. That's for sure. And the thing is, imagine if we the Liberals are losing the next election talking for this and uh finally they decide to replace justin trudeau i'm just wondering who is the person who will take the place of justin trudeau and try to rebuild the liberal party for that person (laughs) 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I guess we'll see in the coming days. I think this is supposed to be announced um, tomorrow morning, if mm-hmm. I'm remembering correctly. So we'll see who's going to be shuffled around and put in some new positions. Um, I don't know if before we head on into an ad break, we want to just show this little clip of Omar Al-Gabra and, oh, and yeah. his actual social media announcement. Hi, friends. After almost 11 years as a member of parliament, two and a half years as a minister and six elections, I've made the difficult decision to not run in the next election. Until then, I will continue to serve the constituents of Mississauga Centre as their member of parliament. As a result of this decision, I'm also stepping aside from my role as minister because the prime minister deserves a cabinet who is committed to running in the next federal campaign. This was not an easy decision. It's always tricky to figure out the best timing for such a step, but I feel it's the right time for me. I've had an incredible journey in public service. As the Minister of Transport, I helped lead our country through many challenging issues. We protected Canadians during COVID while supporting the transportation industry during an extraordinary period. We worked on reforming our aviation sector by enhancing transparency and accountability. We worked on improving our supply chain and established a supply chain office that will advance resilience and efficiency within our transportation network. We are moving closer to making the dream of a high frequency passenger rail that connects Quebec City to Toronto a reality. Those are just few examples of the important projects that I had the honor of working on that are important to Canada. During this wonderful ride, I met incredible Canadians and visited every corner of our beautiful country. I loved every minute of it. I'm very grateful to have worked alongside Prime Minister Trudeau and to have gained his confidence. I remain committed to his vision and his leadership. I also want to thank my supporters who've kept believing in me, my current and former staff for their dedication, the amazing public servants who serve Canadians with integrity. My colleagues who have become like family to me. And lastly, I want to thank my constituents who I've had the honor of representing in Ottawa. This has been the journey of a lifetime and I feel exceptionally lucky to have had this experience. Canada is the best country in the world because of our people and our values. I'm excited for what's next, but in the meantime, Thank you for everything. I think it was going to cry or what? Like, if <laughs> he, 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 he pet himself uh, talking about, oh, I did so great for transportation, plane industry, and uh, no, you actually did the opposite. <laughs> stop, stop propagating lies. You actually make like the airport the worst in the world. You actually yeah. like, did the worst thing for the trucker to stop them to do their job and to make their company running. You you stole so many jobs from workers because you you impose a shop that people would did didn't want it. And and now you just say, Oh, I was so great and now I'm going to something else better. Oh, I was like seriously like this guy is living another world. But I don't mm-hmm. know where is it, but it's in his head. Yeah, it's the ivory tower that they just dwell up in there with not a care in the world. He says, I've visited every corner of this country <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, on taxpayer dollars, thanks to the taxes of hardworking Canadians who are struggling to feed their families, let alone tour across the country. Um, and he thanks- says that Canada's... Thanks for the fossil fuel that actually did transport you too, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't forget about that. He says that uh, Canada is the best country because of the people and the values that it has. But these politicians are so out of touch and ignore the people and those those very values that built our great country and are just striving to turn it into this woke dumpster fire of inclusivity and tolerance under the guise of disavowing every identity that used to make Canada, Canada, this great country that he says that we have. Um, and I think, as I've already mentioned, that Canadians are are seeing that the Liberal Party is just destroying that best, the best country that we know and love and are getting fed up with it. But um, of course, he had to say in there that he still supports the vision mm-hmm. 
of Justin Trudeau. So uh, that's not very reassuring for who's <laughs> to replace next. Um, or maybe that's just the the doublespeak of politicians who talk out of both sides of their mouths. We're never really sure. Yeah. But so anyway, let's go. I'm not going to, to miss him either as Bill no. Blair, Lamity, and everybody else. <laughs> we have, I'm just going to read this one super chat quickly, and then we will go to an ad from the wellness company who started up recently in Canada. Uh, it's from AMT60, gives $5. Thank you very much. Are you concerned about the new WHO treaty that might be mm -hmm. in effect by May of 2024? Did you discuss the price of the Rumble Rants being less than $5 US because that equals $7 Canadian? Could you make it three or four pensioner? Yes, thank you, AMT60. We did bring this up uh, last week after you brought it to our attention. And um, I think that, so I don't actually monitor the chat. When we're on the live stream, it's just too many moving parts. Um, but what the consensus was is that any monetary donation will be shared into our chat to read on screen. And so um, the the consensus was that those higher donations will definitely be read, but sometimes we can't get to all those sm smaller donations because you, we end up getting a lot of trolls. And, um, and if you're, you know, if you make it a dollar, then people end up just trolling, it takes up a lot of our time, we don't get to dissect the actual news. And so it'll be kind of picked through there to find what's most relevant, and what's most conducive to the chat that we're discussing or tips or, or tricks or things like this. Um, so there will be, I guess, I don't want to say screening in place necessarily. But, uh, but yeah, we've definitely considered that that is as we've already discussed during inflation, that's a lot to ask of people. So mm -hmm. um, give us get whatever it is that you can manage. And then as long as it's relevant, and it's not just and needless trolling, um, we'd love to hear your thoughts and share them on air. And then in terms of the WHO treaty, so there's the pandemic accord, I think is what they were yeah. last calling it, they've changed the names so many times. But there's the pandemic accord, and then there's the um, the treaty itself, which the name is now um, eluding me. But there's two different pieces of legislation that they're trying to institute. And yeah, I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned that we didn't even have any of that that kind of legislation in place when pandemic hit, and they were still able to sway and enforce whatever policies and procedures they wanted other countries to institute. So um, I don't know how but, much of a huge difference that's going to make because they did it. They they did the lockdowns, the masking, the vaccine passport, so on and so forth, um, without having any of that legally binding infrastructure in place to begin with. But in the same time, they tried to pass it before, but it fell. So now they try it again. And if it fell, Believe me, they will come back again and try it again until it actually works. Actually, I remembered. So it's it's they're making amendments to international health regulations. And so that is actually more concerning to me. And if you follow James Roguski, he has a sub stack and he's on all major social media. And I think it's stopthewho.com is his website, or maybe that's ours. But anyway, either will link back to the other, um, because I've covered some of his reports, and I featured him as a guest as well um, in an interview. But the international health regulations are already in place. They are already legally binding international health regulations that uh, the member states, which Canada, US is a member state of the World Health Organization, they must uphold. So there's this new uh, pandemic treaty or the pandemic accord, whatever it's called now, mm -hmm. but they're also trying to amend existing international health regulations. And that to James Roguski, who is the researcher on the file, he does incredible work and he's really deep dived and continued to follow this very closely. That is what he is most concerned about and makes sense because it's already in place. Whereas this new treaty or accord needs to still go through whatever check and balance that these unelected bureaucrats have in place in order to do so. 
Um, so I would, I would recommend heading over to check out some of his reports and, um, I'm just going to double check here, stop the WHO or stop the treaty.com where you can find more. Yeah. Stop the WHO.com is James Roguski's website. So we, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a quick ad for the wellness company. And then we're going to talk about some COVID nitty gritty and perhaps elaborate a little bit more on this WHO, the world health organization's attempts at undermining individual nations sovereignty. And so we will cut our YouTube stream, head on over to another platform, rumble odyssey or getter join us there. Um, but when you come back from the ad break, we will no longer be streaming on YouTube because of their censorious community standards. So please join us on one of those other platforms to continue to hear our commentary. Yeah, it's the best part. You don't want to miss that. How in the right. world could such a small group of people with limited resources change world history? But in fact, that's happening. And it's the power of the truth. The truth is like kryptonite. Healthcare isn't in some sense working very well. Foster Colson is thinking about this. He's got a new company, an online healthcare platform called The Wellness Company. Telehealth company called The Wellness Company. The Wellness Company. The most popular product is the detoxification supplement that features natokinase. Natokinase is the only enzyme that we're aware of right now that dissolves the spike protein. Spike protein is loaded in the body with the COVID-19 infection and definitely with the vaccines. We've been completely accurate on the spread of the virus, early treatment, on the deficiencies in hospital care, and now the deaths that are occurring after vaccination. This is a human outrage and it's occurring at the end of a hypodermic needle. Isn't it interesting? Natural substances combating this man-made disaster. All right. We have a couple other chats that I just want to get to before we move into the COVID nitty gritty, as I like to call it. Um, we have Jutta Bercy gives $5. Thank you very much. I can't understand why, sorry, I can't understand that anyone would have voted for this face. And that's Justin Trudeau. Um, glad to see the, I think Justin Trudeau, I don't, I don't see a picture accompany that, but I assume glad to see the glad to see the back of him he would never be re-elected maybe that was omar algabra when we were discussing about the transport minister announcing he wouldn't seek re-election but uh but yeah he's the mississauga he mentioned in his um twitter video there social media video that he was the mp the member of parliament for mississauga so i guess that's where his voter base is um yeah I would, i'm happy I i'm not from there not, <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Uh, we have Sharon Donner, 78, gives $1. Thank you. Am I wrong? Doesn't Trudeau do the appointing and shuffling? If he does, how can it be for the better? Yes. The I think the long of the short, the short of the long is yes. But um, it could also be based on his advisors and his handlers. And so if they're seeing their internal polling is not going well, then they're going to shuffle things and try to remedy those issues. So I, like I mentioned, either they can become more woke or they can rein in some of these extremely radical far left policies. And, um, only time will tell. I don't have that magic ball. Uh, in fact, you know, up until, 2019, I wasn't even very politically involved. So having some of the historical context and, and things like that, uh, that this is still fairly new to me. Um, I only became politically involved in 2019 and then more heavily in 2020 when the COVID hysteria and the, all the restrictions hit. And I thought, well, how do I get my voice heard? And I tried to engage in democratic process and do the delegations and and contact my MP and my MPP and my town council and so on and so forth. Um, so the logistics and how things actually work both in front of the scenes, but also behind the scenes is um, still very much fairly new territory to me. Oh, I think you're not the only one. A lot of people got involved in political sphere starting in 2020, most of them. And that's why we saw a race of voices being like yelled into the street as the protests and the truckers. And uh, I remember like in the past when I had some protests in Quebec, 
I would say the protest was mostly most mostly violent, more violent than now. Now I find that the people who want their voice to be heard are mostly pacific, but they are there, they are doing it, and they are doing it pretty well. Like, I would say, like, the protests that we saw are really peaceful, considering the situation. That's right. Then the frustration and the frustration that falls continually on deaf ears, mm-hmm. right? You're supposed to be able to engage in that democratic process and have your voice heard, but that didn't happen and still uh, arguably does not happen in many instances. So yeah, when that frustration mounts and turns to anger, and especially as Canadians struggle to heat their homes and feed their families, that's where you see real tangible anger starting mm-hmm. to take place with people. So that's something that needs to be remedied quickly because when you start interfering with the family's ability to feed and clothe their children, they are going to be mad. And um, I think that's starting to be what these politicians are seeing now. Um, but let's move into our COVID nitty gritty because we are running out of time. <laughs> that COVID, that cabinet shuffle is um, is big news. We spent a lot of time on it. But in this uh, next segment here, we have an article from CTV News. Uh, the headline is, this is the start of preparing for the next emergency. They're calling for an inquiry where have I heard that before, Um, into Canada's COVID-19 response. So this is after a new series was published in the BMJ, that's the British Medical Journal, which called for an independent inquiry into Canada's COVID-19 response. Experts from 13 organizations across Canada, including doctors, nurses, researchers, law and humanitarian specialists, along with Jocelyn Clark, a Canadian who is the BMJ's international editor, wrote the seven articles published on Monday. And uh, I guess they see this, she says, uh, or Dr. Sharon Strauss says that we see this as the next step in the pandemic. She's a physician in chief at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto and is one of the senior authors of the Accountability for Canada's COVID-19 Response Series. Mm -hmm. And the article continues on and so on and so forth. But to which I would say... Um, it took you three years. <laughs> like, is it really now is the time that the mainstream media is going to finally start to highlight some of the woes of the pandemic response and the harms caused by the policies instituted indiscriminately onto the population? And this is only, gosh, I think it's eight weeks after the National Citizens Inquiry, which was a grassroots yeah, exactly. independent citizen-led inquiry into the COVID response, they just toured across Canada over the course of uh, roughly four months. It just concluded approximately eight weeks ago. There was four commissioners in total. We covered it uh, in almost every province as it took place Mm -hmm. throughout Canada. And those four commissioners are currently working on their final report. I don't know what the timeline is for the publication of that report. But these these delegations that were heard and this inquiry um, spanned three to four days in every province and territory across Canada. This was hours upon hours, hundreds of hours worth of testimony by medical professionals, everyday Canadians, people who had lost their jobs, people who had been slandered and smeared. It was countless Canadians telling these heart-wrenching, harrowing stories of how the COVID response negatively affected them, their friends, their family, the fallout, the destruction. And only now we have a medical journal coming forward saying that we have to do the same thing. It's already been done. And it found absolutely disgusting incidences, instances and evidences of harm caused by the bureaucracy who said, oh, just one life is too many, right? That was the whole narrative at the beginning of the COVID hysteria is if we can prevent just one life, one life is too many to lose. And um, so if you go to our website there, we have a National Citizens Inquiry Mm -hmm. tag um, that you can search and you can find all of our reports on the National Citizens Inquiry, the individuals who we featured uh, as individual stories and their own Uh, anecdotal evidence. Um, And of course, as the commissioners come out with their final report, we'll be doing a follow-up as well. 
and this they keep saying like one life it's 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 already too much but what about I'm sorry to say that, but what about the people who are now dying and been refused treatment because you blocked them to have access to it? You cover like a father just passed away, a father of five, because he's been refused the treatment because he was not vaccinated. But do mm-hmm. that is life it's counting? Do do his life it's it's actually like important? Yes, it is. And why is life it's not too already too much. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the next article that we have here. This was um, by our head of production, Efron Monsanto, just wrote this up. But it's basically a call from former MPP Randy Hillier uh, on Canadians to boycott or organ and blood donation following the news of Garnet Harper, whose wife just joined me for an interview. So we'll have that out in a couple of days. I wanted to reach out to some of the individuals involved in denying him his organ transplant and give them a chance to respond and add their comments. So um, I'm just waiting on some responses there before I feature the report. But this father of five, young 30-year-old man, desperately needed a kidney transplant. And he was removed. He wasn't even referred onto the transplant list because he wouldn't be COVID-19 vaccinated. And ultimately he died as a result of the harmful and discriminatory policies that persist today around the COVID hysteria and the COVID narrative for an injection that never stopped transmission has questionable efficacy if, if it's efficacious at all and comes with a serious risk profile. There are serious risks documented. The data shows it um, and and uncertainties, right? This hasn't been proven safe or effective as we've been led to believe by the pharma marketers who want to sell their product because that's how they make money. So Mm -hmm. this is very tragic and unnecessary. Tragic, unnecessary, unnecessary, and an untimely preventable death when yeah, as we've mentioned, we were sold the COVID narrative on, well, just one life is too many. And if we could save just one, just one person, well, here we have people still dying and these policies persist indiscriminately with no accountability. Yeah. No, it, it, they are not. And when I look at, um, uh, we have someone in, in Montreal, Joanne Dupree, that I'm covering since 2021, she, she had COVID twice. She was, she was eight on the donor list. She was waiting for her place in October 2021 when she, she's been removed because she was not vaccinated. And now it's been at most like now two years and her condition is really at the worst. But at the beginning, she was perfectly the perfect candidate. She was like in good shape. She she was like, she had no health issues, just cystic fibrosis so she had like to remove and to change the lung but she she failed her she failed her she's actually going to die if like the situation is not being changed and i and this is happening in montreal here it where mm-hmm. i am living and i cannot believe that the doctor doesn't see that as I don't want to say it online, but like as most as uh, the letter M. <laughs> no, but it's true. Well, and like, whatever happened to freedom of medical choice and whatever happened to bodily autonomy, these are things that Canadians thought that they had as a constitutional right, as a basic right and freedom and are learning more and more. And as we see, like is, as is the case with Garnet Harper, um, who truly paid the ultimate sacrifice for upholding his medical choice. And this is tragic and unnecessary. And we have uh, the Ontario pastor, um, Hildebrandt, who defied the COVID restrictions placed on religious gatherings, and specifically his church. You know, as he said, like you could go to Walmart and gather, you could go to Costco and gather, but you couldn't come to church and preach and sing and gather. And so at that point, he decided to 
um, refused to comply with the COVID mandates. And he's seen the fallout of that. But he has just posted a clip where he calls on similarly, um, as similar to Randy Hillier, to boycott organ transplant and the organ donation until this is fixed. I'm Pastor Henry Hildebrandt. I'm spending a few days in the beautiful area of Sudbury. Ran across some local news here. It says Sudbury man refused kidney transplant due to vaccination status dies. Garnet Harper, 35, leaves behind a wife and five children. He was refused a kidney transplant due to what? Vaccination status? What's next? Religious status? Would the next title read, Sabri Man Refused Kidney Transplant Due to Him Being a Christian? This reminds me a lot of a man in the 1930s who discriminated against easily identifiable groups. Remember? Is that where we want to go? We have another person, I believe she's in Alberta. Sheila Lewis, dying because she needs a organ transplant. Are you an organ donor? You might want to seriously consider putting it on hold until we can get a policy in place by our government that will guarantee zero discrimination. Sheila is scrambling, trying to get to the U.S. so she can get a, an organ transplant. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. This friend of mine, Garnet Harper, was fighting for his life. And he stood up for our God-given freedom and left behind his wife and five children. What will it take? Do we really want to go the way of the 1930s? I don't think so. Let this be a wake-up call. God help us. He's right. As someone, it's actually it's medical discrimination. Like everybody mm -hmm. is offering their organ to whoever needs it, but they are deciding to discriminate some people against others. Yeah. As someone who has five children, I can completely empathize with Garnet's wife, Megan, that. And the fact that this is a needless, a senseless, and entirely preventable death just adds insult to the injury and the holes in their hearts that his family suffers without their father and their husband. This is just grotesque and unimaginable. I never thought that we would live in a country where something like this was possible, when there are people who are willing, able, and capable of providing a donation to someone like that, who has a robust entire life ahead of them, if they just could get that kidney transplant, and then they were denied arbitrarily based on a policy that appears to not have been relayed or enforced the way that it was intended. And again, I'll have a full report on that as I dig a little bit into some of the wording of the policy and reach out to some of the individuals involved for refusing to send on Garnet's referral. Um, so please stay tuned. Actually, you can follow along on at our website, organsnotcoercion.com. Right now, that website is specific to, as uh, Pastor Hildebrandt, you heard him mention, Sheila Annette Lewis in Alberta, um, who has worked tirelessly to secure an organ donation, an organ transplant for herself. Um, so we are actually going to be kind of broadening the campaign at organsnotcoercion.com to include these other instances of injustice, as you've mentioned, Alexa with Joanny, as uh, Garnet Harper's wife continues his legacy and his advocacy work to end this discriminatory practice. And really, it's medical apartheid. And we've seen that all throughout 2021 and continuing largely unabated today. So we will be broadening that campaign and we'll be relaunching it. Um, and also including Garnet Harper, Megan's interview 
as well on that website. So stay tuned at organsnotcoercion.com. And um, we have a, a nice comment here, or I should say a relevant comment from Snowy Roof, who gives $5. They say the MSM, so mainstream media, is starting to realize if there is an election, they will be losing their government gravy train. So they should start doing some responsible reporting. You know, this is a good point, something I didn't really consider that if all of these ducks are getting into a row for there to be an election, as we see Trudeau questionably on the campaign trail, shuffling his cabinet, confidence in our government is low, Canadians are struggling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If there is an election, yeah, absolutely. The mainstream media, Pierre Polyev, he's vowed to dis, uh, defund the CBC and cut them off from that taxpayer gravy train. Um, so yeah, they better start, start trying to do some damage control here and actually report on news and news gathering instead of just propagandizing whatever the government flavor of the day is, which is what they've been doing mm -hmm. for the better part of three years. And I mean, arguably even prior to that, but definitely has become very much evident the last three years. But Pierre Poliev said that he would not defund the French CBC. That is a little bit like sad, but because he said that there is not enough French media outlet, I think. But I will have, uh, I think I, I will want to see if he's defunding the English side, he should defund also like the French side. side. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't, I didn't, I didn't hear that specifically, um, and it's unfortunate that I am not bilingual, so I have to rely on you <laughs> for, for yeah, the Quebec side it, of things. It, it's true that we don't have as much outlet as you have in the English side, because not only you have like the English from um, U.S. and everywhere around the world, but we have only us. And most of French Canadian that doesn't speak English rely on the French media. Well, that's why your job there in Quebec is so important as as our Quebec reporter and correspondent um, to give Canadians not only who don't speak French to that other side, but also for the exclusively French speaking Canadians, more of um, the news from all across the country that they wouldn't otherwise find from their mainstream media. Um, so I think unless, do we have any more last minute chats that have come in? We're just three minutes past the hour and, um, we have, I think a quick chat from our friend in Hamilton, Fraser McBurney. Mm. Uh, I don't see it showing up here. Usually Fraser has his caps lock, all caps. Yeah, on, it is. So it's hard to miss <laughs> his, um, his chats, but I'm not seeing it here. Do oh, you want I read it? Oh, okay. He gives he gives five dollars. Thanks, Frazier. Uh, the Liberals tried to make a high speed rail from Montreal to Toronto in the early 70s. It broke down every day. I know I got many free scotches. It was fun. <laughs> Thanks for that context. <laughs> I think that lends into where we started at the beginning of this live stream, right? Is that um, you never know what you're going to really get, how well it's going mm -hmm. to work and how much it's going to cost at the end of the day um, with the with the liberal government. You're just it's kind of a shot in the dark and they come up with these policies and these impositions using taxpayer dollars because there's no accountability or transparency, which is funny because they campaign on those pillars of their platform. But because there isn't actually any transparency or accountability, they get away with these failures unabated, and then they'll do a, a cabinet shuffle and hope for the best and that everybody will just forget. And because the news cycle moves so quickly and there's no accountability from the media who are supposed to speak truth to power, they get away with these actions unabated. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you don't take the train to from Quebec to Toronto to save time. Yes, it's really comfortable, but time is longer than if you drive there <laughs> another failure i know <laughs> i know i take it like pretty often <laughs> 
Well, just as we wrap up uh, things here, we're going to show you an ad for Tamara Leach's uh, latest book, oh, yeah. Hold the Line. And it's her personal story as part of the Freedom Convoy. And she will be going on a book tour. And so if you're interested in A, ordering the book, or B, getting into um, one of her events coming up this coming week and into next week as well, uh, you can go to theconvoybook.com. And there you can see at the top of the page, there's media contact, legal fees, book tour, and buy the book. So if you head on over to that book tour site, you can see where Tamara and some of your favorite rebels will also be over the next week or so. And hopefully come in, come out and join us uh, in person at some of these launches and book signing events. Excuse me. <coughs> Uh, that's at theconvoybook.com and uh, tickets, for instance, this coming Thursday, whoops, I clicked away here. This coming Thursday in Barrie at 10 a.m., uh, there's a book signing. The tickets are $5. So I think that this is, if you're in the area, you have an extra $5, come on out, meet some of us, meet Tamara, get your book signed. Um, and just, it's always nice to meet some rebels in the wild. So we'll, we'll end on that point. Thanks to everybody behind the scenes who makes this daily stream possible from our producers, Olivia and Efron, to all of the people who make the thumbnails, write the copy for the page, shared on social media. Thank you to you, Alexa, for joining me. And thanks to David for reneging his spot this <laughs> for the next few days as he's sent out on missions and our studio gets the necessary upgrades it needs to be on par to host everyone every day throughout the week, same time from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. And thank you, Tamara, for being a, such a great communicator. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alexa. I'll see you again soon.